Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Josh Spodek, and I'm here with Dr. Michael Greger. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so glad to be back. Glad to have you here again. And I've said this to many, many, I've, I subscribe to very few newsletters. And yours, I say newsletter, but I watch your videos. I bet I've watched 75% or more. Wow. Some are just not me. But like, one of the things, here's a measure of the change of yours, like the quality of your videos, like the production values. You must have a team that I bet you, when you started, I think you were just sharing like red light, green light. Very simple things. <laughs> it was bad. God, you, you remember way back when. Yeah, and now, yeah, I mean, I'm embarrassed. It was embarrassing back then. <laughs> yeah, it was just me. I mean, I was doing everything, you know. Yeah. Uh, but now, yeah, now we have a whole team. And so we can actually, uh, we can actually have some production value. Which I consider a testament to the value of the message that you bring to people because it's hardcore science, simple to digest, no pun intended. Oh, uh -huh. and your puns, that was not intended. <laughs> You are the corniest person I've ever come across outside my stepfather. And, oh. and some of it's really funny. And I just wrote one in your book. It was, no, I don't know if this is corny. This line was actually in there on, uh, was it on caffeine? It said, also, don't stick it up your butt. Well, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, so, yeah, it was on coffee. And yeah. Well, I was talking about coffee enemas. Yeah. 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 Yes. The, the adverse effects. Right. That was just not apropos of nothing. <laughs> and here I'm going to tell this is I believe outright bragging I sat down I do this every now and then and I wrote down everything that I could think of that I ate in the past 24 hours oh nice I'm going to give it to you as a, I'm going to make it active for you as a quiz it, did right. I miss any of the daily dust alright whip it out alright romaine lettuce cauliflower uh -huh. pickled cucumber okay hazelnuts okay. sunflower seeds red onion white mushrooms I think they're button mushrooms red lentils nice. Cherry tomatoes. Ooh, got it. Nutritional yeast with B12 added. Nice. Or is, you know, part of it. Whole rolled oats. Uh huh. Uh, a couple of peaches. Uh huh. A bunch of blackberries, raspberries. Oh. Now, I asked you this in person about this product defatted peanut flour. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cocoa powder. Uh huh. Uh, sorry, cacao powder. Uh -huh. Tomatillos. Green yep. split peas, yellow split peas. Ooh, sounds good. You're making me hungry. Yeah. Chickpea flour. I'm making myself hungry. Mung beans. Yep. Chia wow. seeds and flax seeds stuck together and ground, to get, ground up. Yep, yep. Tamari, cacao nibs, these purple peppers, serrano peppers, ooh, ooh. sauerkraut that I fermented myself, uh, which is um, okay. uh, cabbage and salt, kombucha that I fermented myself from apples, I'm sorry, from beets. I'm sorry, the kombucha I fermented from apples, it might just be mild vinegar, I'm not sure, but also some of the apples from it. Uh, green leaf lettuce, white onion, a little salt, like a quarter teaspoon of salt, I'd say. Mm -hmm. uh, cumin, kelp. Basil from my windowsill, orange, nice. including the peel, nice. washed, red pepper, almonds, cashews, bok choy, bell tomato, yeah. eggplant. Now, chutney, which I fermented myself from, this one was beets, citrus fruit, including the peel, a little bit of salt, and jalapeno. Uh-huh. Yum. Green onion, the, the stalk, the, I don't know what you call it, not chives, but the- Right, right, the green part. Yeah. Cinnamon, ground ginger, carob. Steel cut oats, but it might have been bulgur wheat. I forget what I was soaking. Yeah, they both sound good. And now, something that I would almost always would have had, but I'm out of turmeric. Ah. And so I, I skipped the black pepper, which I always put in when I do turmeric uh -huh. because of your videos. Uh -huh. uh, and now I'll point out that there was no, what I call doof. And I think I've talked about my word doof. What is doof? I don't remember doof. Oh, so 
Doof may change your life. Oh, there's, all right. I get a lot of pushback. People say about – there's certain words that you and other authors use. Junk food, processed food, ultra-processed food, convenience food. And it always has the word food in it. And sometimes people will just say junk. Oh, yeah. But it leads people to say, well, it's not the best food, but it's still food. But I contend that crack is not coca leaf extract. And poppies are not – heroin is not poppy seed, poppy extract. Mm-hmm. And Doritos are not corn anything. They are a qualitatively different thing. And if you use the word food, people will think that they're food and they're not. And so I doof is food backward. Oh, got it. Got it. And I've heard lots of other acronyms and things, but doof is anti-food. Never See, anti-food still has the word food in it. Yeah. And people <laughs> want to see it as food. So – People have told me that doof is a life-changing – like doof changes their lives because when you go in a supermarket, usually the produce aisle is in the front and they see produce and there's food there, but almost the entire rest of it is doof. It's all doof. Floor to ceiling doof. Yeah. They think that if they put something in their mouth and swallow it, that they're that's eating. But if – you know, frozen pizza, that's consuming doof. It's not eating food. And it's more expensive because you still it, it didn't give you the nutrition that, you need, that your body's going to tell you keep that you need. Not to mention so medical bills. Yeah. Anyway, did I miss any from the Daily Dozen? I think just the the exercise component, which I'm sure you got in. The what? The exercise component, which I'm sure you got in. Now I did. Oh. Put this on the list as well. I did 50 burpees. I walked a couple miles whoa, carrying some whoa. luggage, which is about 25 pounds. Yeah. I climbed up about 25 steps. I meditated for 40, two 20-minute meditation sessions. I stretched hamstrings, calves, butterfly, a down dog, the camel pose, and I'm working on doing a split. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, well, flexibility. With the kettlebells, I did curl, military press, and single arm rows, and these lat raises. I don't know what the name is for them. Hip thrusts. I did some crunches and some planks. And then I, oh, when I got your book on how not to age. Mm-hmm. The first thing I, I thought, all right, right at the beginning, you turned 50 while you were writing it. And I turned 52. Yeah. Just like last month. So. Happy birthday. I forget. I don't know how long you took writing it. Thank you. And so I looked up the first thing and I thought, well, his book is almost certainly going to be mostly nutrition, but I tore my meniscus and I looked Ooh. up knee and meniscus and it's in there. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And well, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's aging up and down. Yeah, we got everything. Yeah. So, so those are the exercise. I was at the doctor recently. My blood pressure, 107 over 68. Gorgeous. My pulse, 51 beats per minute. Nice. Oh, I'm jealous. And I don't know what SPO2 is, but it's 98%. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. Nope. Sounds perfect. You, you, you have a clean bill of health. And someone, now here's something I was thinking. Someone might listen to this and think, well, he doesn't need that book. But it's because I read all of your stuff. And like the more that – sometimes I think, why do I keep watching these things? Because – or it's always coming to like my diet as it is. And then I realize that's why my diet is as it is. And that's why I keep watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's the additional motivation. And there's always new crazy stuff. Yeah. Right? Like there's all sorts of new stuff in the book that I didn't even know about. Changed my diet too. Yeah. So your book is I have not finished reading the I mean it's fairly comprehensive. But it's 
I do, I think a lot of people do, which is jump around to the parts that are most interesting to me. And I think it's, is it designed to be read cover to cover? Is it designed to be a reference? I mean, and how much of it is, there's so much out there. And you, this is one of the main points that you make is there's so many messages. People know people don't want to get old. And so they market like crazy. Oh, yeah. And so I think there's an anti, like protection from, protection from this onslaught of hucksters. Yeah, you know, it really reminded me of my last book on uh, weight loss, right? I mean, both the diet and anti-aging industries are these, you know, multi-billion dollar behemoths, you know, and with so much money in the mix, uh, the, the temptation to, you know, promote products purporting all sorts of kind of preposterous claims is apparently irresistible. Um, and so that just makes it all the more important for someone to really do a deep dive. And so, you know, with over, God, 13,000 citations, you know, my aim was to cover every possible angle for developing the you know, optimal diet and lifestyle to slow the aging process for the longest, healthiest life based on the best available balance of evidence. Yeah, actually, at the beginning of the book, you mentioned something about it being the only book necessary. And I thought, well, that's biting off a bit more than, and I thought, wait a minute. And I started, I went back to the table of contents and started skimming again. And I was like, maybe this is really, like, this is it. I mean, as you said, there's always new stuff coming out, but it's really, it covers, I mean, I'm not in a place to say what it might be missing, but like every time I looked, there was something there. Well, I really tried to cover everything. It's kind of like, it's kind of like four books in one. Right. I mean, so part one, I uh, identify the 11 most promising pathways for, you know, slowing the sands of time, ending each with practical proposals for targeting them naturally with that and lifestyle changes. So boosting the anti aging enzymes like AMPK, sirtuins, telomerase, while suppressing the pro aging enzymes, IGF 1 and mTOR, decreasing glycation, inflammation, oxidation, senescence, while preserving autophagy, our telomeres, and slowing the epigenetic clock. So that's like, you know, part one. Then part two uh, delves into secrets of like the longest, age, uh, healthiest living populations around the world, like the blue zones. Based on studies of identical twins, only about 25% of the difference in our lifespans is determined by genetics. And so, you know, really opens up the question, what can we do for the majority over which we may have some control? And, you know, the media loves stories about, you know, hard living centenarians <laughs> attributing their longevity to some combination of, you know, lard, vodka and favorite brand <laughs> of cigarette. But, uh, you know, I really did dive into what do the oldest and healthiest really, you know, eat and live. Um, and then part three is more than nitty gritty. What can we do to preserve your bones, bowel circulation, your hair hurrying hormone balance, immune function, joint health? That's where the meniscus comes in. Yeah. Your mind, your muscles, your sex life and skin, teeth, vision, finally dignity and death. So there's a chapter on each. And then finally, part four, my, you know, anti-aging eight kind of a, you know, kind of akin to the daily dozen with this kind of actionable checklist to complement the um, daily dozen highlighting specific foods like, you know, the nuts, greens and berries that have the potential to offer some of the really best opportunities to slow aging or improve longevity. Yeah, I, was, I had a bunch of things to say, but then when you mentioned berries, I eat so many more berries because of your videos. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And late summer is such a great, I mean, I guess June berries start growing here Ooh. and they're, I was at the food cop and we just got tons of berries and they were like, don't eat all the berries. And I was like, I'm going to eat all the berries. <laughs> <laughs> Mine. 
Yeah, I know. This is this the season. But look, you can get frozen berries year round. There's no reason that, you know, you have to just kind of eat seasonally. And uh, the freeze drying process is actually remarkably benign. And so you could have, you know, freeze dried, you know, that's what I do on the road is I carry around these little packets of freeze dried, you know, strawberries, tart cherries, cranberries. And so then I'm in some, you know, a hotel with some crappy instant oatmeal, but at least I can have some, you know, berries in in the morning. Yeah, actually, the cup has goji berries in bulk and mulberries in bulk. Oh, yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not mulberries, some, um, yeah, mulberries, yeah, the white ones. But I now I look, I know from you, the color is the antioxidant. The color is the, um, what's the word, phytonutrient. Right, the, right. The same property that gives those plant pigments their vibrant color is the same property that allows them to, you know, capture these stray electrons, the, the free radicals, the antioxidant effects. So the colors are the anti-aging, antioxidant, anti-cancer um, agents. And so you can look around and be like, all right, what's got, you know, what's healthier? You know, red onions or white onions, purple cabbage or green cabbage. You don't need to like some cheat sheet. You can look at it with your own two eyes. And so we're looking for the, you know, brightest, you know, the blackest blackberries and the brightest red, you know, the deepest orange sweet potatoes we can possibly find because, you know, we're searching for those colors. Yeah. And I got to tell people who don't watch your videos and read your books, it's like full of these things. Like you're saying this and I'm like, I learned that from you. (laughs) And so, yeah, purple cabbage, red onions. Nice. My CSA delivered a bunch of white eggplants. I'm like, wow, that was a missed opportunity on your part there. (laughs) Although if you don't eat the skin, a white eggplant is the same as a purple eggplant, right? Well, I eat the skin. I, did I learn from you that the skin of, of citrus is almost all the fiber and most of the vitamin C? Oh, it's not so much vitamin. It's the phytonutrients. It's the, you know, all the, uh, a lot of the phytonutrients because, I mean, that's what, that is what is exposed to the outside world, to, you know, getting burned in the sun. And so it has to be packed with antioxidants to deal with the free radical damage and, you know, have all these kind of anti, uh, you know, pest agents and things. And so it's just the the chemistry set of phytonutrients in the peel tends to be more of fruit, above ground uh, fruit and vegetables, tends to be where the the concentration is. Although certainly there's, uh, you know, like in grapes, it's not only the skins, but also the seeds. If you can imagine, you know, you have to protect that DNA. And so it also has to, seeds have to be, you know, just packed with antioxidants as well and protective compounds. Whereas something like a root, so like there's not really nothing much in a like a carrot peel because it's just you know nothing you know it's it's kind of protected from uh you know oxidation from the uv rays of the sun and so peeling your carrots is fine but we don't want to be peeling our apples also i wanted to go back to something you said that like you were talking about ipk and you're using a lot of technical uh, medical terms i guess and autophagy and like that's something i learned from you and i looked up now like the MPK part, it starts, the book starts off with that. And I got to say, I got a strong science background, but sometimes each section that gets very scientific is also followed by like, and here's what it means to you, or here's what to actually eat. Right. And so I can, yeah. like, I can get the science to the extent that I want, or I can skip and just be like, all right, but what do I actually do here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that, yeah, it was very important to me to be like, well, yeah, what's the practical implications? And so, yeah, people can just, you know, skip, skip to the end. There's like a little, uh, I forget what we're calling it in the book, like a, like a food for thought kind of, uh, conclusion section for each of the, you know, MPK, autophagy, cellular senescence, glycation, et cetera. 
And it's just like, to help boost this anti-aging pathway at each meal, consider, and then here's the bullet list, right? You know, two teaspoons of barberries, a dash of black, ground black cumin, you know, the hibiscus tea, the vinegar, blah, blah, blah. Now, you know, I'm just talking about the AMPK section. But and so for each of those. Yeah. Now, for people who like to geek out on the science, go crazy. You know, <laughs> I'm all in favor. But, you know, I wanted to really make it accessible to kind of both ends of the spectrum. All right. Now, giving people information is one thing. So this is a big challenge for me. Sustainability is, and sustainability leadership is my big thing. And I see a lot of people out there giving information and people don't change. Yeah. And now I know how many people watch your videos and I've been to your things in person, met you in person. And, and when you say until you, and the whole audience is like, put it to the test. <laughs> and I'm like, this guy's a showman too. He's like, you're playing the audience in a, in a really fun way. Cause I think people enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although the writer in me who likes drunken white thinks omit needless words. It should be just test it. <laughs> I know. Yeah. 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 It's funny. But, do you have any stories of people changing behavior? I mean, you must have a lot because people are watching more, so they're changing. Does it really change behavior? And if so, what do you see? Well, I mean, it's really, I mean, you know, I mean, there's lots of anecdotes, but, but I mean, it's really going back to the science. And so for the science of, you know, uh, of establishing good habits, really the best we have is these, you know, uh, the technique known as implementation intentions, right? So, you know, to secure our goals, we can call on our, you know, kind of built-in cognitive capacity to create habits to kind of automate our actions. And this starts with implementation intentions. And so instead of these kind of vague self-promises to just kind of, well, I'm going to do my best to, you know, eat healthy or exercise or whatever, implementation intentions are specific if-then plans to perform a particular behavior in a particular context. So, like uh, when situation X arises, I will perform response Y. So like if I get hungry after dinner, I will eat an apple, right? And so if the triggering circumstance is kind of a regular daily, daily occurrence, then these implementation intentions can, you know, be the beginning of a beautiful habit. And so, you know, there's a couple criteria. You have to select a, a new action rather than uh, just kind of giving up uh, an existing behavior. And so in terms of like breaking a bad habit, it's doing kind of an alternate response rather than a non-response. It's hard to form a habit of kind of not doing something. And then, so that's the first thing. So it has to be kind of positive. You actually do rather than something you don't do. And then to lock it in, you have to purposefully repeat it day after day, week after week, sometimes even month after month before it kind of takes a mind of its own. Now, so it may be kind of a lot of work up front, but once it's ingrained in our brain, then the need for willpower is replaced by this kind of eerie compulsion to do the right thing. During the process of habit formation, it gets easier as we go along. And this is particularly the case with dietary interventions because our palates change along the way. And so... People that, you know, start cutting down on sugar in their tea or something, all of a sudden, they end up kind of preferring it unsweetened or less sweet than they did before because your taste buds kind of change in the way. And then you have the best of both worlds where your kind of taste and health preferences unite. And these implementation intentions have been put to the test. And so you can, you know, randomize people to, you know, just one group is told to, you know, 
and how important flossing your teeth is and encouraging to floss every day. And that's just kind of the control group. Or you can form these implementation intentions, like have people perform, you know, dental flossing immediately after they brush their teeth or whatever it is. But, you know, you, where and when you intend to floss your teeth every day for the next four weeks, and when you carry out an experiment like that, you can double flossing frequency it, rather than the control group who was told the same thing, floss your teeth, but they didn't have the, those specific kind of particulars that really helps us do these uh, kind of form habits in the long run. I'm curious if you worked with BJ Fogg because he covers a lot of this in Tiny Habits or James Clear. Oh, no, I'm not familiar. Okay. I'm not, I'm never, I feel bad. I'm never familiar with kind of the lay literature. I just know what's kind of in the, in the scientific literature. So there may be like awesome people that just because I don't know them, that does is no slight on their character uh-huh. or on their, on how good they are, or bad they are. I just, you know, it's just, I, you know, unless they're actually publishing the peer reviewed literature, I probably haven't heard of them. I'm also curious, you must have talked, okay, when you talk about, a lot of people think, well, I don't want to give up this stuff that I like, but you talked about an eerie compulsion, but I, which I, that stage to me feels like identity. Once your identity is like, I'm someone who does burpees every day, uh-huh. then at the end of the day, I'm like, oh, I haven't done my burpees yet. Well, I'm the type of, d-. but then it starts even past there. It's like rewarding. And mm. I suspect you've met people or people who felt like they were giving something up and on the far end of it, they actually have more of what they really wanted. Like to me, the way I often put it is apples to me now taste sweeter than Ben and Jerry's used to. Mm. It's less sugar, but more sweet and more nuanced. When I ate Ben and Jerry's and I always had it in my freezer, if it wasn't Ben and Jerry, you know, I had Snyder's or Hanover pretzels. That was, I always had those. Uh huh. Uh huh. And so an apple to me tasted bland but now, oh yeah, totally. God. And now, even if it was vegan ice cream, I wouldn't touch it. It's just too cloying. Yeah. And the apple has more. My experience of sweetness is greater. Yeah. No. No. That's really right. I mean, the 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 ripest peach in the world would taste sour after a bowl of Fruit Loops. Right? I mean, it's just like <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like you know, I mean, most of these uh, experiments were done in the uh, salt reduction uh, literature, where they take people and have people salt soup to taste. Um, and then they put them on a low salt diet. And then week after week, they find that people actually end up preferring lower salt soup, such that the original soup that they liked to taste is actually way too salty. Ugh, and they actually push it away. And they're like, wait a second, a couple weeks ago, that was your preference. Like you did it just how you liked it. But you can actually change once you start getting rid of these kind of hyper salty, hyper fatty, hyper sweet doofs yes <laughs> then all of a sudden you get this you know you you kind of restore this you know they they have this kind of numbing effect on your palate but once we get back to kind of normal natural foods for kind of our evolutionary heritage and then we can really start differentiating and then and all of a sudden you find yourself wait a second you're eating you know corn on the cob no butter no salt and it's delicious and you're thinking like for someone who is eating kind of the standard American diet, that just seems like crazy. You know, someone will see me at work, you know, you know, having just like a, you know, microwave sweet potato with a little cinnamon sprinkled on top or something. And they look at me like I'm some aesthetic monk or something like, oh, it's great that you could eat that. I could never eat that way. You're like, no, no, you don't understand. It's actually delicious to me. It actually tastes really good. And it'll taste that good to you, too. But you don't know how good it's going to taste until you give it a try. Yeah, it's that actually happened to me. 
when I was a little kid, my parents switched from salted lightly. It was called lightly salted to unsalted. And we were like, ah, it tastes terrible. There's no flavor. And then somehow there was lightly salted. And we we're like, that's not lightly salted. That's horrible. <laughs> right. And then years later, I'd come across research, which your videos pointed to otherwise, that said that salt doesn't really make that, like you can have a wide variation in the amount of salt that doesn't make that much of a difference. And your video said, they didn't include zero in there. Right. And so if you're way out, like if you're varying it among a lot and a lot, a lot. Exactly. Exactly. Right now, if you lived in a society where everybody smoked, then, you know, we would have no idea the cause and effect of smoking lung cancer. Because, you know, whether you smoke two packs a day, three packs a day, you, it wouldn't seem to matter. And so it would really literally be all genetics at that point because some people are just more, you know, genetically susceptible to, you know, uh, smoke-induced lung cancer. But we would not have been able to identify smoking as a cause of lung cancer because everybody did it. Only when you, oh, compare it to, you know, non-smokers, do you say, oh, my God, there's this vast difference. So you do that with all sorts of things. I mean, that's how you prove you know, saturated fat has, is no big deal. But you compare the French to the Americans or whatever is like, you know, and the one has a little higher saturated fat, but they're over, they're both way, way out of the margins. Only when you like bring Japan in or something or some, you know, vegetarian population or something that's way down on the scale, do you, can you actually separate this out? And so, yeah. And so, you know, the, when we, we discovered these, you know, like this famous Brazilian tribe, that, you know, obviously had no doofs, had no salt shakers. And then you're like, oh, wait a second. So we always thought that blood pressure just kind of goes up as you age, just kind of just a natural, inevitable consequence of aging. But oh, no, you actually get to a, a no added salt population. No, it doesn't happen at all. Like you have 70 year olds, same blood pressure as 16 year olds. And they've done that in rural China. They've done that in rural Africa. This is when they were eating their, you know, healthier diets. And so it's like all these diseases we thought were inevitable. Oh, no. Well, yeah, it's inevitable if we continue to eat this way. But, uh, you know, if we're able to eat healthy enough, we can avert some of these chronic lifestyle diseases. You just made me realize something in all the years of my watching your videos that I didn't quite connect, but it's been underneath. And it's killing me that we're going to run out of time. But that I'm listening to science, but I'm actually gaining flavor and, and textures and joy and fun. And that's what your books are scientific books, but what they're really bringing about, at least in me, is it's even beyond health. It's like enjoyment of living uh, this incredibly important part of my life of what I put in my mouth and eat. Oh, I love it. That makes me so happy. Right. And people don't understand that going in, right? They think I'm talking about deprivation like all the favorite foods I grew up with, I'm saying, no, 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 tisk, 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 wagging my finger. And that's why, that's really where the Daily Dozen came out. I was like, okay, no, no, let's not, let's just start by adding some really healthy foods. And maybe we'll crowd out some of the doof, but let's just start adding really healthy foods to your diet and you know, start, you know, changing that palate away. And then hoping people will discover some of these amazing flavors and cuisines they've never even heard about. And uh, yeah, and then again, we end up, you know, in best of both worlds, tastes great, and you get to live longer. That's what plant-based eating is all about. Oh, man, that's a great place to end. Any last words otherwise? Which books in what order should they read? Because I've, I mean, I'm on the latest. <laughs> well, uh, you know, How Not to Die is kind of the classic. Just goes through, you know, leading causes of death. And so, you know, uh, you know, chapter on diabetes and Alzheimer's and, you know, heart disease, et cetera, et cetera. 
then the weight loss book, How Not to Diet, if you're interested in accelerating loss of body fat. And then finally, if you're more into the kind of longevity space, then How Not to Age will be out December 5th, 2023. Dr. Michael Greger, thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me. I look forward to coming back. Bye. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.